Welcome back to The Andrew Curtis Show. Now this week, before I introduce my guest, I want to introduce a scenario because it's this scenario that made me particularly motivated to invite the guest that I have today. So imagine a situation occurring when you're at work, maybe with a friend or family member, Uh, maybe you're on holiday, but that person suddenly comes under some form of distress. And again, the word distress has got massive scope, right? You can be distressed because you can't find your keys all the way through to maybe the loss of a family member. In any case, when that happens, the question that I often ask of myself is, what do I do? What, what's my response supposed to be here? Because you find yourself very much like an accidental counselor. You're there trying to help someone, but you don't really know how. And then there's that sense of, have I gone too far? And do I not get myself out of it? And well, if you've been in that situation, you're probably reliving it right now. So you'd be uh, understanding then how pleased I was to discover about the work of uh, Rocky Piasi. Now, he has a program called The Accidental Counselor. Uh, One of my uh, family members had the privilege of going through his uh, longer form course about a month or so ago, and I reached out immediately because this is the kind of man that I wanted to speak to. And so Rocky joins me now. Rocky, welcome to the show. Hi there, Andrew. Thank you for having me. Oh, my privilege. My privilege. So look, I think, first of all, why don't we expand on this idea a little bit of the accidental counsellor? Because I think it's a fantastic term to describe a situation we could all relate to. Yes. And um, so I wanted to say to everyone listening that um, we're having some little audio issues. So if I need to just clarify, um, I hope uh, people can be patient as they're listening on. But um, so, Andrew, you were just asking if I can clarify the term accidental counsellor. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So my my definition of accidental counsellor is um, simply put that typically we're first responder. I thought your introduction was um, perfect. You know, um, we can be an accidental counsellor in any context, work, home. Uh, It can be around... um, a conversation to do with a child, uh, you know, like you say, lost keys, yeah. something much, much bigger, like loss and grief. So typically we're obviously not clinical counselors. We're not doing therapy with people. Uh, I, I tend to believe that we're all accidental counselors, mm. some of us um, better than others. Uh, and I think it really comes down to your ability to listen and to provide a space. So the person's pain and upset can come through without you interfering with that, without Mm -hmm. you fixing it and trying to change it in any way, especially immediately. I think the big power here is to be able to match and be where the person's at. So my simple definition of an accidental counsellor is that, hey, you know, we're typically a first responder to people's upset and distress. Um, And more than that, Andrew, I think that as an accidental counsellor, whether we know it or not, we're often triggered by these types of conversations and it's really important to be aware of those triggers. Mm. Uh, otherwise, it can tend to contaminate the conversation. Wow, that's that's actually an amazing concept to, to, to talk about actually before we even get into the, the, the meat of this too. So can you talk about that idea a little bit more? About being triggered? And, yeah. Yeah. And the idea of so, contaminating, I think, as well, is, is quite a powerful thought. Yes. Um, well, I, 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 the, probably the 
you know, I've got lots of stories and analogies, but the one that is most powerful to me was one related to me by a great friend of mine. We, we were childhood friends and still great friends to this day. Uh, and um, Michael's a, a chaplain in a major Sydney hospital, and he was just telling me about how he was just doing the rounds through, um, you know, the hospital ward and could see quite an animated conversation between, it looked like, a father and a son. The the son in his police uniform um, at the bedside and looked like it was his dad. And so Michael went over and introduced himself and, and said, you know, did you want to... Um, you know, uh, I'm not exactly sure the the the, uh, the phrasing, but he's, he introduced himself and said, if you, you know, if you wanted to have a chat, and and so the dad was really quite keen to have a conversation, and the context was about the fact that he was going into surgery, and apparently was told um, by a specialist that he should you know, that he should be fine, that he should be as relaxed as he can possibly be. But he does need to say that there is a very small percentage that, you know, things may not go right and that you may not get through surgery. Strange mm. thing to say to someone. Um, but um, this is apparently the conversation. So okay. the context then was that dad, uh, every time um, the father was um, getting a little upset, speaking about the fact that he may not get through surgery and that he has that you know that he, he doesn't want to die, that 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 if he dies now, that he'll die with regrets, that there are things that are left undone. His son was getting quite agitated and upset. So the son would be responding like this: "Dad, stop it! Why are you talking like that, Dad?" Did you not hear the specialist? It's going to be fine. You, you, you're worrying for no reason. So this is, um, a, a, you know, an exaggerated, but uh, it illustrates the concept of contaminating a conversation. Clearly the son was triggered. He yeah. found it very hard to be present to his dad's fears and worries uh, as I hear this, because I think that is exactly, I mean, I can relate to that on my own, you know, from, from, from my own point of view and also from your conversations that I've heard where you, you do, you see a distressed friend or family member and you, I guess you're running with the best information you've got at the time, right? You think, I know if I tell them to calm down, that'll Absolutely. help. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and I think, um, you know, Andrew, that uh, it's always a lot harder when you're responding to a family member because obviously yeah. there, there are a lot more emotional connections mm. there. So we mm. can get triggered a lot more easier. Um, but it's, it's an example of um, trying to rush in and make the person feel better. So it's a counterintuitive thought, isn't it? It's like, well, someone's just telling me something upsetting. It's clear that they're upset. And so as human beings, we have a natural inclination to be able to say they're upset. I want to help them feel better. Yeah. But that act of rushing in to make them feel better before acknowledging and validating what their upset is, what their worry is, what their fear or pain is, can be counterproductive. That's what I mean by contaminating the conversation. Mm. And like, again, you, I think you made the point very well at the very beginning too, when you mentioned how this is something that we, we can be in every context of our lives multiple times, hundreds, thousands of times throughout our life because we're life by nature is upsetting, <laughs> uh, both to Indeed. us and to other people. And we don't, I, you know, I, look, I don't, 
like to fall into the trap of ragging on the school system or anything like that. But this is stuff that I think is so helpful once you start to learn about it. But really, there's not a channel, a consistent channel where we can learn about this stuff to say, hey, that instinct that you've got to help is a great instinct. But the way you might express that could be working against you. Yes. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I run this, the accidental counsellor for lots of groups, but um, as a former teacher and school counsellor, um, I initially developed this 10 years ago for teachers because, you know, whether you're a teacher or a nurse or a police officer, it doesn't really matter. We're trained and we're specialists in those areas. You're a manager in a business. You're a, you're, you're a business owner, whatever it is, you know, what, whatever context. We're, we're trained, we're specialists in the area that we're expert in. Mm. And this type of, um, you know, counselling, it's... Uh, communication, this type of intervention um, is not that well known. Um, but, but, and just to play devil's advocate also, um, Andrew, I don't want to sort of give the illusion that, oh, you know, it's some sort of secret information that you have to go and get a degree in and all of that. Right. It's definitely that, of course, the, you know, the more time you spend doing this, the more you practice, the better you'll be like in anything in life. Sure. But just think about the fact, think about when I'm asking you and, and anyone, and folks who are listening, mm. that think about a time when you were speaking to someone about something upsetting and you walked away feeling really good because they were just fantastic listeners. Right. And if they were fantastic listeners, Typically, they weren't speaking that much. Yeah, yeah. I'll you, actually. I, you, I, you, I, you, I yes, you go ahead. Well, yeah. In my case, I was I was really just about to say too. What what started to uh, open my understanding on this this journey was precisely my experience of first trying to be the guy who helped people because I had all the answers to stuff. Uh, mm. And. First of all, it's very demanding because it turns out there's a lot of things you need to know uh, <laughs> and uh, it's impossible to have all the information you could possibly need. But I also started to find that being this guy who would just present information at people after a while, it, it wasn't effective. It wasn't helping them. And I realized I could either get frustrated at them and blame them and saying, well, why aren't they listening to me? This is their problem. They're just not really serious about this or that there was something about my approach that wasn't helpful. And so that, what made, that was what made me open to then when I heard about approaches that are, I guess, what we're going to go into in more detail in a moment, to say, okay, look. That, well, that's very powerful, um, Andrew, that self-awareness, that ability to reflect. Um, otherwise, we just keep doing the same old thing over and over again. And, um, and, then, and, then, and then you're right, you know, then we point the finger, oh, they're not ready or they're this and... And really, if we want to be powerful in helping people create positive change, um, we, we need to be able to say, okay, well, this, whatever I'm doing right now doesn't seem to be working. So let me see if I can maybe find a better way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. So let's get into that way then a little bit more, because within your program, you talk about there being three elements to it. So um, I'll let you introduce that in, in whatever way you see fit to, to begin with. Um, sorry, Andrew, did you say that three elements in the training? 
Yes, yes. Sorry about that. Yeah, there. You mentioned there are three. Yes, well, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So the yes the so the accidental counsellor training that I, that I present um, is broken up into three core themes, and typically, well, the three themes are well being and self care connection and influence and i'm happy to talk a little bit about each one of those would that be okay yeah please yes yeah okay so let's just start with um the third one influence and so what i mean by influence here pretty similar to what you were saying Andrew, and what we've been talking about is that, you know, we, we think that we've got the information, we just need to be able to tell the people, uh, the person we're helping, hey, this is what you need to do. And, you know, interestingly, as you um, as you mentioned and as I've experienced and as I'm sure lots of people have, when you tell someone what to do or give them advice or provide suggestions and solutions, typically, especially if it's unsolicited advice, it doesn't go well. Yeah. Um, the person, person doesn't follow through. In fact, the research says that when you tell someone what to do, their motivation for doing it lessens. Yeah. Isn't Not only that. Fire effect. Is that the uh, the name for it? I think. Say so, sorry, Andrew. Say that again. I think they call it the backfire effect. Well, I, I I haven't heard that term before, but the the psychological term is psychological reactance that's oh okay that's Ooh. the term that, yeah psychological when we tell people what to do their motivation for doing it lessens mm. even if it was something they wanted to do so wow. so um so what i say with influence because we do talk about hey how do we help influence people to positive change yeah we, we talk about this in the solution focused approach mm. and what I mean by that is we want to, so I have some catchphrases that can help people remember. So with influence, rather than telling people what to do and how to change, rather than doing that, I say, ask, don't tell. Ask questions and specifically ask solution-focused questions. Now, the solution-focused approach is very, very quickly, very simply put, is simply helping someone paint a picture of what different behaviour would be like. So it would be, so how would you like things to be if you were able to cope with this a little bit better? One of my yeah. favourite questions is, um, so, um, so one of my favourite questions is, uh, what, what do you need most right now? Or how do you think I might be able to help most in this situation right now? Something like that. Obviously, you want to reword those questions to fit your own context and make it as relevant. But if you if you have a look at it, those questions are all about asking and then having the person identify not the solution, but what I call their next best step. Right. So that right. that's influence. Yeah. So a couple of other questions around influence that I find very helpful is starting off with those type of questions. How would you like things to be if you were if you if you had a little bit more energy on a particular day? What would you be doing? You know. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, if if you if you, what do you think would be the best thing for you in this situation? People have heard of this type of question. What would you tell your daughter, your friend, your partner? You know, and so ask, get them to identify an outcome, their next best step. Mm -hmm. A follow up question. When once they do that, 
is to be able to follow up with why. This is from Simon Sinek. Uh, you know, yes. Google him on YouTube, powerful, mm-hmm. um, you know, topic around the power of why. Uh, this connects them to their own purpose. So when they say, you know, um, uh, I really like ABC, um, then, you, you know, a, a follow-up question might be, Tell me why that's important for you. I'm going to give you an example of this in a moment, Andrew. Sure. And then the third, a third question could be to connect them emotionally to their responses. So what would the emotional mm-hmm. benefits be? Can I give you a really quick case study yeah, of those do. three questions? Yeah, go for it. So last year I was working with a, a young man uh, in his late 20s who had an addiction to cocaine. Mm-hmm. And he came in and in the very first session, these are the type of questions I ask initially. And so I said to him, um, so thanks for coming in. Uh, Let me ask you, uh, what what do you need most right now? What made you make this appointment? How how do you think I might help? So -hmm. you see, there are sort of three questions in there, but all of them are, are getting them, getting him to paint a picture of what it is, you know, set a goal, set an agenda. And he said, well, I need to get clean. I, I have an addiction to cocaine. And I said to him, okay, tell me why now? Why is it important for you to get clean now? Why why did you not come six months ago? Or why did you not delay six months? Tell me why now is the time for you. That's a great question. And he said, well, yeah, now's the time for me. He said, because um, if I don't get clean, I'm not going to be able to have access to my children. Now, you uh-huh. see how he created a... Uh, a goal, uh, I, I need to get clean. And then the, his answer, his why, um, was a very powerful, um, it, it sort of, uh, it, it, I think it sort of motivates and, and animates the initial answer. I need to get, this is my why, this is my purpose. I need to get clean so I can, act, I can see my kids. And then I said to him, well, this may seem like an obvious question, but I think it's important that you speak to it and out loud so we can both hear it. Tell me, how, how would this benefit you? How would this benefit your children and perhaps others? And so he was able to speak to that and speak to, and then he was connecting his responses emotionally. So you see those three questions are very simple, but they're also very powerful questions. And they're examples of solution-focused questions. And look, there's there's a whole bunch of things that have uh, fired off in my mind after listening to that as well. So I'll, I'll try and keep myself under control. Um, I think one thing that that stands out to me particularly powerfully about that, I loved that question around time. Uh, I was having a, a discussion with uh, with somebody very recently who was unhappy about a a particular life situation that they were in, and they're making this comment about how, oh, you know, I'm not happy about this, but you know, maybe it means in a few years I'll I'll whatever. And, you know, the, the thought that I was trying to communicate to him was that, well, you know, time's an interesting thing. You know, it's got no substance. It's got no force. It's got no mass. It's got nothing to it. So in terms of time being the thing that will make something different, uh, it's, it's got no ability to do that. And so, you know, we, we had this conversation around saying, well, look, you know, what you might find is that in, say, two years from now, you end up making the same choice that you could have made now. Uh, right. So it was about connecting to something more than just, you know, maybe time will do it. Say, well, why would it be important in, in two years? Well, because of this and this. Is, is that important to you now or not? Oh, I suppose it is. Um, and it just yes, made it much more example. powerful 
in that moment to say, well, then let's talk about that now because time in and of itself doesn't do anything. Okay, so in terms of then the, uh, there was a couple of other components to this as well. Was there anything more on that, on that influence side that you wanted to talk about or, or can we move to the other uh, two components of this one now? Let's move to the others, um, Andrew. And you just sort of broke out there for a little bit. So if I've missed yeah, sure. anything, and if, and if and if it feels like it's a little strange <laughs> that I didn't respond, it's probably it's probably why. Um, <laughs> no, all good. But, thank, um, you, thank you for being so uh, gracious about that. Okay. I wish I, uh, if I could. So, all, so yes. Um, so with, with um, that's right. So the, the, the three themes that that was a little bit around influence. So what I say to folks is, look. You know, um, as again, like I started as accidental counsellor, we want to rush in and try to influence. And what I say is try not to do that initially, but more so connect and find a connection. So that's the second theme. Now, the obvious concept here is about rapport and connecting with the other person, having a heart-to-heart connection. And I'm sort of uh, assuming, you know, Andrew, that your listeners would already know that if they're listening to you and your Mm. podcast. Um, So so I don't want to really go into that too much because I think that, that, you know, most folks would get that, especially if they're listening to you. Yeah, what sure. what I'm much more what, what I'm much more meaning here is what we spoke about in that example with the son and the father at the hospital ward. It, it's about connecting with the person's pain, and what I mean by that is acknowledging, validating, normalizing what's happening. You the person. So in in essence, this is what it is. Connection is being able to listen so well that the person feels heard and understood. Mm-hmm. In fact, that they have a resounding yes, whether it's verbal or nonverbal. You'll know because they'll say something and then you will you will then respond and your response is not fixing their problem. Your response is like holding a mirror so they get to see themselves and their response is, yes, that's right. That's what it's like. Typically, when you respond that way, you'll find that the person is enormous, enormously grateful. They're thankful. Mm-hmm. They'll say, thank you so much because as human beings, we have this deep yearning to be seen, to be heard, to be understood. You know, I have this quote in the training the Accidental Counselor Training by John Powell, and mm-hmm. it goes something like this. He says, in true listening, um, I can never tell you what you've heard, but only I, I can never tell you what you've said, but only what I've heard. So I'll have to rephrase what you've said to right. make sure what left your mind and heart arrived in my mind and heart intact without mm-hmm. distortion. And so that's what I'm meaning here. It's being able to rephrase what the person's saying, obviously not parroting and using their words back at them because that's annoying, but to be able to respond like a really good friend 
in such a way that the person feels, as I said, heard and understood. Now, what happens when we are able to do this effectively is that there are three emotional consequences. The person obviously trusts you much more, they feel safer with you, and they begin to calm down. The energy is not going into justifying their fears or their worries because we're not listening effectively. The energy dissipates because there's no need to justify or defend what they're saying. They feel heard. When they begin to calm down that way, then we can ask those solution-focused questions. And, and so my catchphrase for the connection theme is get in the pit with them Get in the pit with them. People who are experiencing psychological, emotional pain, they're in this dark hole. And I say, again, like uh, at the start of the podcast, Andrew, you know, um, we have this uh, um, innate thing as human beings to want to be able to, if they're in a hole, well, then we want to be able to be positive and optimistic and, you know, it'll be okay. And, you know, um, and so what I'm saying is no, that, that actually creates a disconnection. What we need to do is actually get in, get in the hole, get in the pit with them and connect with them that way. I love that. And at the same time, I think I want to share what my experiences have been learning at this point, because I feel like this could also be something relevant for those who are listening here, is that as I listen to this story about getting into the pit with people, in my own experience of this, when I was first learning about this way of communicating with people, one of the fears that I had, and it was a legitimate fear at the time for me, was that I would climb into this pit and I wouldn't be able to get back out either so that I would possibly be overwhelmed with what was overwhelming them or something like that. So is that something that you can speak to for a moment? Because I imagine that's something you've probably heard from people before. Yes. Um, and, and again, um, Andrew, the, for some reason we're having these um, audio and, and connection difficulties, yep. but I just want to clarify that I'm mm -hmm. hearing hearing that correctly. Sure. You're saying that one of the fears about getting in the pit is that we'll be overwhelmed by the yep. issues that we're, that we're listening to. Is that correct? Yes, that's it. That's it. Yeah. So that, that's right. And, and so that, that then leads us to uh, the third theme in, in the training, which is about, your own well-being, your own self-care, and I'm, and you know, I, I have some, I have some views about this, Andrew. That again, maybe a little bit controversial or a little bit different, because some people say, well, there are certain strategies and techniques that you can use that mean that when you connect this way, you will not um, become you overwhelmed. I disagree with that. Wow. I say, look, yeah, I, I say, look, if you're in this business of helping people in distress, pretending that you won't be affected by what they're saying and by the trauma you're hearing. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. and I think it places an unfair pressure on people like you and I who do this type of work and accidental sure. counsellors, Andrew, because then we feel like, well, why am I feeling this way? Yes. Maybe I'm oh, doing something so wrong. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. right. No, we're not, we're not doing anything. You're not doing anything wrong at all. You're just being human. Mm. And so we, in fact, getting in the pit with someone by its very nature means you will be infected. And I'm saying that deliberately, you know, <laughs> yeah. affected. And, yes. and so what does that mean that we we're just at the mercy of 
um, all of this because, I mean, there's some really big issues around this, Andrew, you know, like issues oh, like sure. vicarious trauma and all yeah. of this sort of stuff. So what does this mean, that there's nothing we can do to try to help ourselves? Well, no, obviously there is. And that's what I mean by our own well-being. And so I maintain that as an accidental counsellor, our own well-being and self-care is the most important aspect in helping another person. Mm. Because if we, I, I, my my definition of well-being is very simple. Mm-hmm. It's about your it's about your energy and it's about what gives you energy mm. and so if you're running low uh, the analogy i use in the trainings andrew is that of an of a phone we've mm. all got these mobile phone these you know iphones or you know an android with these sure. um, mobile devices and it's interesting don't you think that we can treat our phones better than we treat ourselves right what do i mean yeah. well you know like i mean if if, if our phone's on five percent charge well, we know that we need to recharge that thing really quick because if it goes dead, well, then we can't use it. Yeah. And yet when when we're running low on energy, we just push through. We mm. just, you know, like I've got, you know, like what, what are some things that people do for their own well-being? Some people might meditate. Some people might go to the gym, go and get a massage. Some people like going for a walk. Like, I mean, there's thousands of things that people do to you know, connect and and give themselves energy and, and and increase their well-being. But then, interestingly, when we're running low on energy, when we're, when we're under pressure, when we're dealing with deadlines, when we've got a whole bunch of things we need to get done, we tend to say, "I'm too busy to go for a walk. I'm too busy to go to the gym. I'm too busy to meditate." And I think yeah. that's a fatal flaw. It really is. Yeah. And so, and so, I say, how how do you think you're going to go? When you're you've got five percent energy and you're about to dive into the pit with someone, mm. it's not going to end well. Mm. It just won't end well. And so, <clears throat> what I maintain is we, we need to be obsessive, and I say, say that we're deliberately about our own well-being, lifting our energy, 50, 60, 70, 80, as much as we can percent. When we dive into the pit with someone. Well, then, of course, we're going to be affected. This is what I maintain. I think it's being human. Yeah. And you get out of the pit. Now, you you go in at 80%. You might walk out of that pit at 60 or 50% perhaps. Mm. And you have another conversation. And, they, and then by the end of the day, you, maybe you started the day 80%, but by the end of the day, you're maybe at 10 or 15%. And then mm. you walk into your home and with your family, and it's hard to connect with them because you're completely exhausted listening to people's problems. Yeah. Now, I'm saying I'm saying this not from a textbook, from my own personal experience. I've been a counsellor in private practice for 25 years, for 20 years, I'm sorry, not 25. Sure. And, um, and uh, you know, I mean, I, I've, I've burnt out twice in my career. You would have thought I would have learnt the first time. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, um, this, is, this is what I've come to see. And, uh, and it's still a work in progress for me, but I'm much better these days than I was several years ago, no doubt about that. And so what I say is, no, no, look, of course we're going to be affected by listening to people. I don't listen to the news for that very reason. You know? Right. Um, yeah. yeah. You, know, mm-hmm. you know, so, so of, of course, when we deliberately dive into that pit because we want to be there for someone, to mm. pretend uh, that we're not supposed to be affected by what we're listening to diminishes our humanity to me. So I, I, I say don't give yourself a hard time. It's just being human. Um, what you, what we need to do 
um, is to, um, to, as a protective factor, I think is to engage in a radical wellness program for ourselves, creating positive habits. Yeah. Oh, look, I, I love that. And and even as I'm listening to that and desperately hoping my audio doesn't cut out, uh, but um, that being able to even have a conversation around your energy level is a powerful thing to be able to have with somebody. That if you're even able to see in somebody else or able to have that conversation with someone, where even if you know maybe you are down to that 10% and then someone else that who is in your family wants to have that difficult conversation... I think at least if you have that understanding of well-being and, and managing that energy, you can say, look, this is important to me. I do want to have this conversation, but I think I'm at about 5% right now and I'm not going to give you what you need from this. Is it okay if I look after myself first and then we can have this conversation again later? Like just, just being able to have that kind of a conversation to me is, would make a massive difference in the, in the quality of our relationships personally and professionally. Hundred percent, Andrew. In, in fact, you you know what you just said said there was is pretty much verbatim um, things that I've said in my own life to my own family members to oh, people that I'm pat myself you know, on the back. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, you know. I mean, of course. Um, you know, you you know you 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 do some of this. You know. So, um, yeah, absolutely, mate. You know, that's. Uh, mm. I think that sort of awareness is really, and I think it honors the other person. Yeah, you know, and and, and honours that what they have to say is really important, but I'm not in the best shape to actually hear it right now. So I don't want to pretend, and I don't. I want to really be there for you. I just, it, I don't know about you, Andrew, but I just find that um, it's not the, it's not usual, is it? What we're talking about, it's not oh, the, no, not at all. And, and in fact, yeah. is that uh, probably another group too that I'd love to get your perspective on as well? Because when I hear this, it also makes me think of. And I believe everybody listening will either you'll be this person or you'll know this kind of person who there are those, I guess, what we would call air quotes, uh, those just lovely people who are there for everyone. And they have this mm -hmm. experience of being there for everyone all the time. And yet I often hear back from those same people that they are forever feeling burnt out and then even getting frustrated or sometimes even bitter about the fact that, well, why is no one ever there for me? And, and I give and I give and I give. And I don't want to throw rocks at that approach that wants to help other people. But I do think it also reflects when we don't know about the, and I'll use this word, the sanctity of protecting our own well-being, you, you can easily go the other way. And then suddenly it, it affects your experience so much and you end up with these lovely people who are equally living with a lot more hurt than they need to because they just don't know how to protect their own energy. Beautifully said, Andrew. Beautifully said. Very powerful concept. And I hope we don't get in trouble talking about this, but I believe it's important to be real. Yeah. And, yes, I honour those people also. I was one of those people. Mm. So I'm speaking from personal experience um, and, and so what I'm about to say is not talking about others. I'm just going to talk about myself, cool. you know, 20 odd years ago before I started this journey. And that is when we're neglecting ourselves and we're there for everyone else, well, then we've got to ask ourselves when I'm helping someone, what's the intention? What's mm -hmm. the motivation? 
Mm. And if, and typically, if we're not looking after ourselves, we're neglecting ourselves. I love that word sanctity of our own well-being and wellness. If we're if we're not if we don't place any importance on that, and we're mm. seeking it fr- externally from other people, because when we help them, they'll say things like, "Oh, thank you. You're a godsend. You're so wonderful." Yeah. And this is what happens, right? And so mm. we get energy from that. It's like, "Oh, you know, I was really able to help someone." And I think it's a it's it's false in some ways because yeah. um, we're not deep down um, where we're helping but we're trying to get our own well well-being and energy needs met by helping others yeah. and what i think you and i are referring to is that when you go into the pit there is no agenda you're not yeah. looking for compliments you're not looking for affirmation it's not about you it's about them um and that's the difference that's why it's important to look after your own well-being because if you go into that pit looking for them to then say, oh, thank you. You know, you were great. And I don't know what I'd do without you. You know, all these sorts of <laughs> yeah. things. Yeah. They, infl- they inflate us, don't they? You know? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Right. And we have to be wary of that, I believe. Um, so then we go, when we go into the pit, when we go in to connect with others in this type of area, we go in without any expectation. Mm. And that's why, Andrew, they're frustrated. Because yeah. the per- the person may not be changing, yeah. they they they're spending hours on the phone giving them advice, yeah. but they're not doing anything to change their life. No. And then the person's not, and then the person's not meeting their needs, you know. Yeah. And so then they get really frustrated and resentful, you know. Yes. Oh, so so, so you know you. I know this well, as you can see. <laughs> oh, look, and I've—I I've, mean, this is the thing I've had—I've had experience of that as well. You know, where you you certainly. Getting that sense of helping somebody is a kick, but if, if we haven't connected, um, well, let me let me put it another way that I think helped change my perspective on it too, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this side of it. Was that one of the things that struck me? Even when you started to share those initial questions that you'd said to that young man who had a drug problem, was that I believe they're all very powerful questions, but they're powerful from that individual's point of view, not from yours. And I think that that's right. What, one of the things that I had looked to do is that it feels great to be the guy who gives the answer. You know, you learn this in primary school, right? Put your hand up if you know yeah. this. Bam, it's me. Yep, that's you, little Andrew. Well done. Oh, man, this feels amazing. And so when I'm having conversations with people, I'm listening to give them the answer because I think that's what it takes. But when I do that, I'm really in it for me. I'm not in it for them. And so when I listen to the questions that you asked, what they really do is they take the power from me and it goes to them to say, well, what's a powerful thing that you can do in and of yourself, for yourself, for your own reasons? And that is so different and yet gives us the result that we want compared to the frustration we experience or I have experienced when I'm just speaking from my own head knowledge to sound clever or to be the knight in shining armor. Yes. Beautifully put, Andrew. That's exactly that. That's exactly right. Um, yeah, I, I really don't have much to, to add to that, I, I, except for one thing, okay. and that is uh, one, one of these things. Uh, just a reminder of something that I've already said, because all too often um, you're right. You know, I, I love the way you frame those questions. Those questions are powerful from their perspective, not from our perspective. Mm. And and just to and 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 oftentimes when we talk about this, especially in the training. 
um, people feel quite excited, and so they they take the questioning techniques and they and they rush in to try to use them, and sometimes they don't work that well. And so <laughs> yeah. when I yeah. when I speak to them, I say to them, "Well, just tell me what happened before you asked the question. What was going on before that?" And it was pretty clear to me that they didn't spend the time necessary to be in the pit mm. with the person. So, mm. so when the person is still emotionally upset and distressed, they're not receiving, they're not hearing those questions, they're not processing those questions. So the timing of asking those types of questions is really important and really critical. Mm. Mm. Oh, it's so good, Rocky. Thank you so much for your time. I'm just uh, aware too that you've you've got another appointment very soon and I appreciate you as well, your uh, your graciousness as, as we've had our audio challenges. But if somebody's been listening to us today and they want to connect with you or even to uh, experience um, one of the many programs, I guess we didn't get a chance to go into uh, the other things that you do uh, deliver as well, but what's the best way for them to to get in touch with you? Oh, you know, uh, thank you, Andrew. I, I really, uh, I really loved. I've got to say, I really loved speaking with you. Um, I, it's uh, sort of like two people connecting in uh, who have very similar ideas. So that's always a great uh, experience. Um, mm, oh, me too. Uh, yeah, and um, so I think probably the best thing, um, Andrew, is to probably go to my website and 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 if they type in um, accidentalcounselor.com, if they go there, that should bring you to um, our trainings and, and, you know, you can get in touch with me um, via the website. You know, that's probably the best way, I'd say. Nice. Okay. And look, I'll, I'll make sure that I put a link to uh, to your website and such as well in the uh, when I put this post up for people and in the information there as well too. So hopefully that that covers all those bases there for, for people as well. But Rocky, again, just from my perspective, I do, I do want to thank you for your time. And I do hope that uh, as people have been listening to us today, that they've also going to be able to take some things out of it, which make their, their accidental counselor moments more powerful and impactful for people. Wonderful. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks again for the opportunity. 